Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Short Story Bingo, episode 10. Uh, my name is Nate Chacon Third. If this is your first time, welcome. If this is your second time, the retention program is working. Uh, what we do on this podcast is I read a short story, either by myself or with a friend uh, from various authors. I've already uh, done like Mark Twain and Edgar Allan Poe, uh, just to name a couple. Um, but oh, also like Alvin Schwartz and I mean creepy pastas, which we'll have more of, so on and so forth. So to give you an idea of what you're listening to, that's what it is. It's like Audible, sorta. <laughs> so today we're going to be reading from the United States of Absurdity, which is a book released by Dave Anthony and Gareth Reynolds, two comedians that run the Dollop Podcast. You can get this book on their website, dollopodcast.com, or you can just Google um, the United States of Absurdity, and it's all over there. Also, I'd like to thank everyone that uh, – uh, well, they're – for everyone that rated the last podcast, <clears throat> excuse me, episode nine with um, that I did with my friend uh, Will Wonder, super fun. We did two that night, and so that was the second of the two. I did my best to try to have the accent, the good old boy accent, and then um, I don't know if it fall, flopped on his face or not, but I did it. it worked and people loved it because we got about we're averaging um, about 150 to 200 different hits a day on the feed uh, which is available on podbean short story bingo.podbean.com also on google play just search short story on itunes short story bingo and please rate and comment on there. Five stars is great. If you don't think it's worth five stars, then whatever. Just as long as we have some traffic there is uh, very uh, appreciated. Also, Stitcher, TuneIn. It's across all the platforms that you might listen to it on. Um, having said that, uh, again, we're about to read a little ditty. It's uh, about Tim Anderson. He's a, well, he's Tim Doc Anderson. He's a boxer, and so I'm pretty intrigued to see what this story should entail. This is from American History, so always be on board for that. Also, we uh, definitely have the random Twitter follower shout out. And today we have at Bobby Blaze PGH Paul George Henry Bobby at Bobby Blaze PGH. Thanks for following me on Twitter, bro. That's about all I got. Um, so yeah, let's sit back, enjoy episode ten. Short story bingo. Short story bingo. Short story bingo. Short story bingo. Sometimes they're funny and sometimes they're sad. Most of the time they're funny because I hate to be sad. Short story bingo. Short story bingo. Short story bingo. Short story bingo. But don't take my word for it. Spare fingers. Yes. The second that Tim Anderson walked into a boxing gym, he fell in love with the sport. He liked the discipline and the action of fighting. At the outset, he boxed under the name Rocky Mundo. <laughs> Deli Mundo. Get the Rocky World. Rocky Road? Rocky Mundo. I don't know. Maybe stick with that. Nah. Uh, let's, let's throw some names around. What, what are you guys thinking? 
Well, Tim, uh, what about if we went with Rocky? I know that's not even close to your name. I like it. Let's keep going. Okay. What about you, Jorge? What do you think? I think uh, Rocky Mundo? Psh, game time. What does Mundo mean? World. Not sure how you know that word, bro, but yeah. Okay, Rocky Mundo. <laughs> uh, by 1983, at age 24... Tim had fought in more than 150 fights and was getting ready for his first professional fight. Good on you, bro. He started out with an impressive record of 13-3. and three. That is pretty impressive. I mean, it's, you know, tough sport. I know that we hold the accountable for, or hold uh, records pretty well, but, I mean, 13-3 is pretty good. Floyd Mayweather's 49-0 is out of control. So, But it wasn't until Tim had dinner with a rock concert promoter Excuse me, God. But it wasn't until Tim had dinner with a rock concert promoter named Rick Parker that things started to heat up for his career. Rick Parker. And he's a rock concert promoter? Okay. So this is, okay, so things are going to heat up for his career. By the time the check came, the pair had reached the deal. Rick was going to be Tim's manager. Rock promoters always makes the best boxing managers. All right. I don't know if that was like a thing. Rock promoters always, always make the best boxing boxing managers. Okay. Now, Rick Parker was an interesting cat. He was a because he was a cat and he was he was feral. I believe it's what it was. And the really interesting part about it is he had two tails, and one was in the city and one was in the country and so that's why rick was so interesting as a cat was because it was always a tale of two cities literally on his tail <laughs> what the fuck all right he was a high school dropout you know i'm not even mad at that because back in the day like not like finishing high school was a thing and it was still okay to or you could still like do shit as far as getting jobs and stuff. Anyway, he was a high school dropout who made his early morning or early money hustling. Okay, hold on. God. He was a high school dropout who made his early money hustling pool with a pool cue. Okay, he's he's naming his cue. With a pool cue he calls Sneaky Pete, which is also a fucking sex move that I got one time in Vegas, the Sneaky Pete. <laughs> he called his pool cues Okay, yeah, well, oh, you want to play? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, we doing nine ball, just straight up, okay, uh-huh. Uh, let me just uh, pull out old Sneaky Pete here. Did you just, Nate, did you just uh, pull out a, a, your cue that you named? Sneaky Pete, that's what I call him, that's what I call him. No, I know, that's, I'm asking you if you said that you have a name for your pool cue. Guys, no, seriously. <laughs> no, I know. I Last time I told you that this is a real story this time. He's, his pool cue is named Sneaky Pete. Pete, fuck you. I know. Okay, well, next game. I got gotcha. you. In truth, he made most of his money going door-to-door -door selling a green all-purpose cleaner that he made in his bathtub. He called the cleaner Sensation. 
not bad. By the time Rick ate, oh my god, actually, okay, he made it in his bathtub. I mean, people make meth in their bathtubs. At least I think so. I don't know the process. By the time Rick hit age 25, he was making $2,500 a day. Hmm. On a life-changing fight, boxing promoter and hair lunatic Don King told Rick to get into the boxing biz with a big white fighter. (laughs) Okay. Because that's where the money was. Rick heeded Don's advice, and that is why he chose to manage Tim Anderson. Don King denies this encounter ever happened. I'm sure he was asked about it. He's like, who? What? Rick fucking... Does Rick with the pool cue guy? Sneaky Pete guy? No, I no, I didn't fucking help him. What I told him was... You know, I broke his cue is what I did. Well, we have on record here, uh, Don, uh, Mr. King, that... Uh, let me see your record. Give me your, fuck, give me your fucking record. Let me... Oh, also, Rick weighed around 344 pounds, had a ponytail toupee, classic, wore $50,000 in jewelry every day, I'm going to lean closer to $50, and insisted that people call him Elvis. Fuck yes, dude. He weighed 344, that's just pumping weight, had a ponytail toupee, which is just as cool as having a regular toupee, but this one has a ponytail, so much better, and then wore $50,000 in jewelry every day. Uh, Bold, right? Um, I don't have anything for that. I don't know why the fuck you're doing that, but, and then insisted that people call him Elvis in his pool cue, Sneaky Pete. You remember Elvis. He's the rock singer who got a federal agent's badge out of the president. After a few months of the new partnership between Rick and Tim, which was a spinoff from Rick and Morty, and it never got off the ground, Tim had a record of 5-1. and one. All was well. Well, if you ignored the fact that Rick was doing cocaine, a lot of cocaine, like... $2,500 worth of cocaine a day. <laughs> By 1987, Rick's managerial career was taking off and he was managing former champion George Foreman during his big comeback. That's fucking tight. Rick arranged to have Tim and Foreman fight. Tim was 29. He got the snot punched out of him the night of his fight with Foreman. Everyone did, though, so it's not really... He was knocked down repeatedly, but he got up again and again, had, quote, tub thumping, uh, tub thumping, been released at that time. His nickname, okay, here we go. Uh, Let's redo that, okay. But he got up again and again, had, quote, tub thumping, been released at that time. His nickname would have been Chumba Wumba. (laughs) He puts in parentheses, we apologize for that joke. Thanks, Dave. Tim barely lost the fight. Foreman was so impressed that he wanted to. Foreman was so impressed that he offered him a deal for a grill. Just kidding. (laughs) Foreman was so impressed that he wanted Tim to become his full-time sparring partner. Hell yeah, that's that's something I'd do for sure. But he's going to get paid pretty well for that. But tensions were increasing between Rick and Tim. The two had their official falling out when Rick showed up to a 
uh, hashtag, or excuse me, um, quotes, just say no to drugs event at a school. Yeah, I'm sure. If you're doing $2,500 of Coke a day, I don't know if you're the best spokesman, P.S., to the just say no to drugs event. And over here, we have, uh, well, it, it, are you bleeding from the nose, sir? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, look, guys, here's the thing. As I uh, have all these ideas and I just want to get them out, if we want to start a business together, then let's try to do that. Whoa, you all right, man? Are you on... The two had their official falling out when Rick showed up to a Just Say No to Drugs event at a school. Right after just saying yes to tons of cocaine in his limo. <laughs> Shit. Tim wanted out of his deal. But Rick had the contract. He countered Tim's request to part ways with the offer of a $10,000 purse for a fight in South Africa. Tim was sort of screwed, so he took the fight. Expecting be done, expecting to be done with Rick after the bout, but Tim lost the fight because South African police officers hit him with a gun before he even, before he entered the ring, telling him to take a dive. Awesome mob shit. Tim took his loser's purse money and moved to Florida. That again, he so. He went out there just to... Well, I mean, this is not something that doesn't happen. So, that's okay. He just took a dive. All right. Uh, so, Tim took his loser's purse money and moved to Florida. There, he got married and then quickly divorced. That's... And, uh, quotes. That's called a regular marriage in Florida. <laughs> Tim figured that Rick still owed him around $148,000. Which is what? Um... 30 days of cocaine? No, my math is off. 90 days of cocaine? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. He, I mean, he definitely needs that. Fearing he would never see that money, he began writing a book about his boxing career called Liars, Cheats, and Whores, which was actually our first total title chase for this book. <laughs> okay. Uh, Rick said he would pay Tim the money owed as long as his name wasn't in the book. Also... Rick claimed that if he was in the book, he would kill Tim's sister. Ah, uh, I don't know if that's like a negotiation tactic. That's a... I swear to God. If I... Are you hearing me? <sighs> yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Are you? I swear to God. If I am in your book... <sighs> I am trying to tell you... So I'm going to kill your sister. Huh? <sighs> yeah. No, I won't put you in the book. I... I'm sorry, what'd you say? In 1989, Mark Gassineau retired from the NFL to start his professional fighting career. This was generally seen as a joke, but Rick saw another big white guy in dollar signs. He took on Gassineau as a client. Rick called George Foreman's then-current manager and proposed a lucrative fight between Foreman and Gassineau. Foreman's manager said that if Gassano won 10 out of 10 fights, Foreman would, uh, Foreman would agree to the fight. He said this, certain that it would never happen. So Rick began setting up easy win after easy win for Gassano. Everything was fixed, and Gassano built up a record of 9-0 along the way. None of his fights went past the second round. Uh, duh. Again, not because he was good, but because the fights were rigged. 
In need of another opponent quickly, Rick called Tim Anderson. Yo, Tim, hey, man. He assured Tim that this fight would make up for the money Rick owed him. He promised Tim $500,000 for the fight. Yeah, dude, for sure taken. Provided he went down in the first or second round. I don't know what Tim's record is at this point, but fuck it. Yeah, the first round. I won't even come out. I'll just, I mean, we'll, the bell will ring, I'll fall over, have a seizure, and we'll just call it a day and give me my money. However, before the fight, Tim told Gastineau, I'm going to hurt you. Which, like, that's not exactly what you say if you're going to throw a fight, I guess. Tim made good on his promise. He knocked the shit out of Gastineau and won the fight. Rick was livid. Rick wanted revenge. He was coked out by bed. He's just like, fucking fuck you, dude. Have you ever seen those uh, promotions, like those wrestling promotions? Dude, like he was Randy Savage out like, oh, yeah, brother. And, and guess, you know, I'm going to knock the shit out of you tomorrow night. Yeah, but you're supposed to throw the fight, man. You're supposed <laughs> huh? What was that? I got Sneaky Pete over here. Fuck. Rick wanted revenge. He became obsessed with setting up a rematch between Tim and Gastineau. By September 1992, Gastineau had built his record up again. He won his 11th fight in a row by basically falling on his opponent without a single punch being thrown in the bout. Rick finally got his rematch on December 3rd, 1992. This fight was different from the previous one. Rick told Tim that instead of taking a dive, he needed him to knock Gastineau out. Rick said that was the only way he could get out of having to pay Gastineau. So Rick doesn't want to... Okay. so a, Rick is a uh, slime ball. Cool, man. What the fuck? Okay. Rick finally got his rematch on December 3rd, 1992. This fight was different from the previous one. Rick told Tim that instead of taking a dive, he needed him to knock Gastineau out. Rick said that was the only way he could get out of having to pay Gastineau. Tim was assured his trainer would be flown in for the fight, but that, shockingly, was all just to cover. Uh-oh, it's all starting to unravel. Okay. The night of the fight, Tim had only strangers in his corner. What the f- coming down? He's like not even sure who the fuck. It's just a bookkeeper and a fucking plumber that uh, got in only because Rick was like, hey man, I'm going to need your help. You look like you've slung a couple turd nuggets out of a pipe. You need your help. <laughs> only strangers in this corner. Like coming back after round one, like, how'd I do? I have no fucking idea. I, I, water? We, can we get it? Can we get a water? They kept giving Tim... Oh, God. Okay. They kept giving Tim water that had an odd, this isn't water taste to it. While he waited for Gassineau, who, uh, who was 45 minutes late, by the third... Who was 45 minutes late to the fight? Oh, fuck. Is today the fight? Dude. Shut the fuck... No, I got... Let me just finish this round of Super Ah, uh, dude, I got this level for sure. You have a fucking fight, dude. Now, I don't fucking tell me about my fight. I know what I... 
Tim, okay, so by the third round, Tim felt woozy and was seeing colors, which is not supposed to happen from water. Normally, what the fuck, unless you're drinking out of Utah Lake, um... That odd taste in his water was a combination of LSD and arsenic. Gassino knocked him out in the third round. That just doesn't seem that doesn't seem like a cocktail that works out. Rick denied drugging Tim and gave him only three thousand dollars. Three thousand dollars to get beat the beat the fuck up, and then also take a deadly cocktail like one that he could die from. Uh, hey, uh, well, we'll still give you three grand. Tim's troubles had only just begun. He began suffering from vertigo and depression. He was never the same after the drugging. He started working on his tell-all book again. One day, as Tim was leaving his store, two men hit him with a bat and told him to forget any scandalous shit he knew about Rick Parker. Damn, Rick had fucking uh, Debo henchmen for him, fucking Suge Knight shit. Rick was worried about Tim's book. And he probably should be. He started calling and threatening to kill Tim's sister again. Tim's rehabilitation uh, rehabilitation process was difficult. Since he didn't yet know what he had been drugged with, it was hard to pinpoint how to work with him. He had to find out, so he set up a trap. He told Rick that to finish his novel, he needed one final interview. He offered to pay Rick $45,000 for his time. They met at a hotel. Tim turned on a tape recorder and demanded to know what had been in his water the night of the fight. Rick smashed the tape recorder, and Tim pulled out a gun. <laughs> um, so yeah, since we're talking about everything, uh, Rick... Uh, on my fight that I had with Gastineau, I was being uh, given water through the first three rounds that didn't taste exactly like water. Can you uh, shed some light on what the f- fuck was in that? And just tape recorder. <laughs> grabs the tape recorder. I, I didn't agree to these fucking questions. All right, man. Take it easy. And then just gun. <laughs> When Rick threat, oh my God! Okay, when Rick threatened Tim's sister again, Tim claims he blacked out. When he came to, Tim saw that Rick had been shot eight times and was dead. Distraught, Tim tried to shoot himself, but the gun jammed. Classic. He ran out of the room and threw the gun to the ground. It went off. <laughs> Tim picked it up and tried to end it again, but he heard a voice saying, It is not your time yet, son. It was either God or some hilarious prankster in a bush. Either way, Tim immediately turned himself into the police. He just went on a fucking coke rage. Blacked out, shot the shit out of him, woke up, tried to shoot himself, gun jams, throws the gun, gun goes off. There's probably only three bullets left. And then puts the trigger to his head and has an Abraham moment. And puts the gun down. I was like, okay, well, I mean, I'll do the right thing. (laughs) Tim pled not guilty and used self-defense as his reason for killing Rick. Witness after witness took the stand, painting Rick as what he was, an asshole. Even the referee from the fight testified that Tim clearly had been drugged. 
Tim had garbage lawyers. Uh, thanks, public defenders. They didn't call all the witnesses they could have. I'm not shitting on public defenders. Just uh, some, I don't know, just, I don't know. Just to do your fucking jobs. If they had, if if this guy was definitely being, I mean, if if it was self defense and like paint a better picture for him, I guess. Anyway, Tim had garbage lawyers. They didn't call all the witnesses they could have. The jury came back after six hours. That's a long time and found Tim Anderson guilty of murder in the first degree. Dang. He received, a, uh, he received a sentence of life without parole. Anderson remains in jail, where he does 6,000 crunches a day. You can write to him at, and uh, has his uh, address here, which I'll, I will include in the description. I feel like I want to write him and tell him I just read about his story. Anyway, uh, so yeah, that's it. That's the story of Tim Doc Anderson. Uh, read out of the United States of Absurdity. Um, again, you can get that on dollopodcast.com. Oh, here's a fun fact that they included. Thanks, guys. Uh, fun fact. Boxing gloves are actually more dangerous for fighters than bare-knuckle boxing and result in more deaths. Gloves were introduced not for safety reasons, but to increase hits to the head and dramatic knockouts. Which actually like makes sense because that it allows you to be able to pit punch people more because if your hands are you know padded then they're not fucking breaking after each punch. If you punch someone real hard one time, your hand can fucking break and it's just a wrap. If you have them you know all padded up, then you can just keep pounding on someone. Time I didn't know that. Well, that's the fun fact of the day. This has been Short Story Bingo episode 10 in the books. Uh, again, my name is uh, Nate Chacon III. Uh, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Gabino underscore Grimes. Gabino is spelled G A B I N O underscore Grimes. That's just G R H Y M E S. I'm going to be starting a Facebook. Uh, uh, group page for short story bingo for people to share their stories and of course you can email your comments uh any new short stories that you have that you would like for me to read um short story bingo at yahoo.com and again tell your friends subscribe on itunes rate that comment on it i appreciate it it helps with some of the uh ratings in the area and um yeah that's about it. We're going to move on to number 11 here shortly, and we'll see if I have a friend on that one. But until then, Short Story Bingo, Episode 10, Nate Chacon, and I'm out. Dun-dun-dun, Spare Fingers, yes.